This is our fourth lesson. We're calling this one the man of labor. These lessons are designed to make men godly men. And of course, even though we wrote them, all the stuff is taken out of the scriptures. And so uh, that's what we're kind of building upon. Our first three lessons have really focused on man and his authority and his ability to do something and his ability to accomplish something. And really what this lesson is going to attack is not just getting a job, but the spirit of laziness or the attitude of laziness. What we've got to be careful of is that we don't just get lazy. And that's what we all have to fight. That's what we all struggle with, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're a pastor or a business owner, we all fight laziness because flesh likes to sleep. Flesh likes to eat. Flesh never gets bored with itself, but it always seems to get bored with God. And so these lessons are designed to build our faith to do what we're called to do and not quit. And so this one we're calling the man of labor. Let's just jump in here and see what it has to say. Man was made to work. We prove that from Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. A man that does not labor is a lazy man. And I want you to consider this, this doesn't just talk about a, a natural job too. We're not just talking about a paycheck. If you're going to have a beautiful yard, it takes work. If you're going to have a well-kept home, it takes work. If you're going to be nicely manicured as you should be, it takes work. And if you neglect anything, it all starts to fall apart. Ecclesiastes says, through much labor, the house is maintained. And through much laziness, the roof falls through. So even to maintain a house takes work. We might even add at this point, since we are in Middle Tennessee, and one of the predominating attitudes is a poverty attitude, that poor people are lazy. Now, poor doesn't mean financial. Poor is an attitude. Because you can have a lot of money and have a poor attitude. A poverty mindset. Or you can make six seventy-five an hour and have a, a prospering attitude. And I, I like to share that my testimony. I graduated college, had a degree, couldn't find a job, went to work at Lowe's. six seventy-five an hour. And actually then Mr. Earl was gracious enough to let me work on his house in the evenings and make more money to subsidize. But you'd have never known I was below the poverty level. Because it's all about your attitude. But one of the things that defines poverty is laziness. Uh, you know, they can buy a brand new double wide. And in a year, it's a piece of trash. Or you can buy a brand new double wide, and in 20 years, it's still looking good. You can have, a, even in our subdivision, we live in a nice you know, middle-income home a subdivision. There's one house in our subdivision. It's a dump. It's embarrassing. They don't cut the grass. I mean, it's, it's creepy. And they have two nice cars, but you drive through the house, and it's Sesame Street. Which of these doesn't belong? That one. Somebody there's creepy. Either that or they're growing pot in the basement because they don't ever come out. Poverty mindset will cause you to be lazy. And if you're if you're kind of given over to this attitude or the spirit of laziness, you're flirting with poverty. And so we'll look at some scriptures here. Labor is not just limited to a job. It also includes laboring for God in his kingdom and laboring for the family at home. You will not be a godly man without being a man of labor. A successful life takes work. So get busy. And I want you to realize that you cannot just sit at home and be a man of God. You can't sit in your prayer closet all day long and be a man of God. To be a man of God, you've got to get out there and do something. You've got to fight for your family. You've got to fight uh, for the body of Christ. You've got to fight for the gospel. You've got to fight for one another. You've got to defend your home. You've got to clean your home. You've got to organize your home. You've got to do this on the job, too. So uh, being a man of God doesn't just mean you pray and read the Bible all day long. 
It means you're, you're actively doing something. You're active in the local church. You're active uh, in, in taking care of your home. And again, I want you to keep in mind, this isn't just limited to a job. We, some people are in disability or some people are retired. We're not against either one of these. What we're dealing with is an attitude that says, I want to do some more. As opposed to the attitude that says, I'm done. My, I'm done. Somebody else do for me. And that's just, that's just not going to work. So let's look at some work in the Old Testament here. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man... That's the one thing. I want the Lord to take me somewhere. Oh, Lord, take me. Oh, Lord, use me. Oh, Lord, take me. Do Lord, use me. Don't you realize using means work? And when the Lord takes you, he's going to put you in the garden somewhere to dress it and keep it. Not to sleep and eat cranberries all day. I like to point out that Adam and Eve didn't just sit in a hammock in the garden somewhere as angels fanned them with their wings. And Michael plopped grapes in their mouth. And he went, nah. Ah, he had to dress it and keep it. The angels weren't doing the work. It was man. (laughs) Man was made to work. God designed man to work. Work will fulfill you and give you a sense of accomplishment. One of my favorite Proverbs says, the desire accomplished is pleasant to the soul. There's just something good about having a to-do list and you get to scratch them off and you're like, oh, I feel prosperous. You have nothing in the bank. I feel like I have prospered and I have succeeded. I have accomplished something. I'm not against to-do lists. They actually help you get things to done. So get a to-do list. Without a job or a responsibility, you will have no sense of purpose. If you want purpose, get a job. Not just limited to the natural. We have people in this church right now, unemployed, laid off, looking for work, retired, on disability. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about what is your heart saying? Lord, give me something to do. Lord, if, if you're unemployed right now because you got laid off, what can you do to make your home better? You know, if you're retired, what can you do to make the local church better after you make your home better? There's always something to be done. Really, how much TV can you watch? How much Matlock can you watch? I, I mean, how many, how many times can you cut your grass in a week? This is what we're trying to deal with here, being a man of labor. Let's look at some scriptures here. If you want purpose, get a job. Ecclesiastes 10:18. By much slothfulness, the building decays... And through idleness of the hands, the house drops through. It could be both the spiritual house and your natural house. It could be your heart. It could be your marriage. Proverbs 10.4, He becomes poor that deals with the slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Diligent over your finances, diligent over your garden at home in the backyard. That's how you get fruit out of it. Diligent over your children, diligent over your vehicle to rotate the tires and change the oil and maintain it. Diligent to vacuum the carpet so that you don't, the dirt doesn't grind in and tear your carpet apart. Diligent to keep your kitchen clean so that you don't draw rats and pests and insects and cockroaches and possums. Diligent. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. But the slothful shall be under tribute. NIV says slave labor. So lazy people get put under slave labor. It, let me, I guess, maybe provoke you a little bit. In our country, slave labor is minimum wage. Slave labor is minimum wage. You barely do your job, you'll always stay at a minimum wage job. But if you will have a work ethic in you and show yourself faithful, your boss will promote you, whether you're working fast food, whether you're working at Lowe's. If you'll just be diligent over wherever you're at, you will prosper. But nobody's going to prosper a lazy person. Nobody's going to promote a lazy person. Nobody's going to promote someone who can't do their job. In the natural, 
even in the local church, if I find somebody in this local church that's faithful over what they're doing and they do it with excellence, I say, I don't want to waste them on such a lowly job. Let me promote them higher. I'll get somebody else to fulfill their lowly job and prove them on it. And it's the same way on your job. If you'll be diligent and work hard at flipping burgers, your manager, your boss will say, I don't want to waste this faithful heart over flipping burgers. That's management potential right there. And here comes $3 an hour more. So we're not going to be in slavery in America. We understand that. But you can be in slave wages. And it will be your own fault. Amen. The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing. That produces a welfare mentality. You owe it to me. You, you work harder than me. You have more than me. Then you should give it to me. And that's not what Jesus Christ taught. From whom that hath, it shall be taken away and give it to him that hath more. That's anti-welfare. That's anti-communism. That's anti-socialism. Because Jesus Christ rewards the faithful, not the slothful. <laughs> America's gotten that backwards. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. That doesn't mean chubby or overweight. It just means prosperous. The diligent has stuff. The diligent has a nice home. The diligent has nice stuff. The diligent has things because he takes care of them and God prospers them. We're talking about the man of labor. The diligent has a fat marriage, a wonderful marriage. The diligent has, a, has fat children, as in they're healthy, they're strong, they're submitted to Jesus Christ. But the lazy, neglectful, slothful man loses his marriage, loses his children, loses his substance, loses his home, loses anything he has. We were just with, with Josh Barclay, and he has a very impressive gun collection. When I was with him in February, he was showing me all of his guns, and he kept his, his gun safe in the garage, and it was probably 10 degrees outside. And I said, Josh, are you worried about rust on you, these guns? He said, no, not at all. It's all right. We get in and start looking at his guns. They're all rusted over. I said, Josh, man, you got to get, this is not good. I mean, he probably has $30,000, $40,000 in weaponry in his safe. A lot of them just given to him. And I told him this trip, I said, Josh, if we have time this week, I'll come over to your house and I'll clean every one of your guns for you. Let me do this for you. He said, man, I'd love you to, but I just, it's too busy this week. But see, he's not been diligent, not to slight him, but he's not been diligent over his guns, so he'll lose them. The rust will devalue them. The rust will make them inoperable. They'll be too dangerous to shoot. All because he just, you know, he's very, very, very busy. And the gun safe sits in the corner of the garage and he just forgot about it. Your marriage can rust because you forgot about it. Your children can rust because you forgot about it. Your home can rust because you forget about it. It takes diligence. In all pro on all labor there's profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury or poverty. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Put up or shut up. Get to work. Laziness brings on deep sleep. Isn't that the truth? And the shiftless man goes hungry. That's NIV. I love that the NIV uses the word shiftless. For years, I thought that might be a questionably dirty word. It's an actual word. It just means you're good for nothing. The NIV actually uses this word. It's one of my favorites, shiftless. You're a shiftless man. If you're a shiftless man, you will go hungry. It's a promise. Laziness brings on deep sleep. Have you ever noticed the more you sleep, the more you want to sleep? But... You get this, you know, six, seven hours a, a night thing going, you can go and go and go and go and go and go and go, get up and keep going. And your body can do that for a long time. But it's also amazing your body can be tripped just as easily into sleeping and sleeping some more and sleeping some more and then getting some more sleep because I didn't get enough sleep. And boy, I could sure use some more sleep. How long will you sleep? That's what the Bible asks. Twice in Proverbs. How long will you sleep? Oh, sluggard. And then he says, the ants are better than you. <laughs> Go to the ant, O sluggard. Seest thou a man diligent, eager, dedicated in his business? 
Notice not your neighbor's business, not competition's business. A man diligent or dedicated in his own business, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before obscure men. Who'd have ever thought someone like Steve Jobs, who was just a geek building really computers made out of plywood in his basement 30 years ago, would now control the world and do it in 30 years? Not through politics, through a business. Him and, and Bill Gates both, computer guys, in 30 years went from geeks, college dropouts, to now their, their two businesses alone run, literally run the world. More than that, Google. That's only about eight or nine years old. Run the world. And now a fool with the politics of modern day. In just eight or nine years, just through business, not through politics. But no, no, I don't think that guy, those guys have college degrees either. Just through diligence in business. And they're all heathen, going to go to hell if they don't get born again. And we're wanting somebody else to do for us. Those guys didn't. They did it for themselves. The New Testament precedent. Let's look at some stuff here. You guys are real quiet. Maybe you're lazy. I don't know. Maybe you're asleep. Maybe you're wishing you stayed in bed, got some more sleep, so you wouldn't be responsible for our scriptures here. Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Notice that's a New Testament thing. Work. Working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, we could talk about stealing the tithe, or we could talk about pickpocketing, or we could talk about stealing taxes, defraudment. We, we could honestly talk about stealing the time card, where you are falsifying your time cards, or falsifying the hours you're billing, or falsifying how much a part costs if you own your own contractor business. Well, that piece of lumber cost $45. Was it gold-plated? You know, this piece of plumbing equipment, this was $55, really cost you 5 bucks. You just made 50 bucks profit. We could talk about that kind of thievery because we really don't have pickpockets like we, they did back then, but the heart is still the same. I'm going to steal because I don't trust God. Let him rather labor. Every able Christian man is called to get a job. Stop stealing. Stop begging. Stop borrowing. Get a job. Get a job so you can have, may have something to give. At some point, you must transition from taking and receiving to giving and supplying. At some point. Now, I, again, because I know right now I have people in this service right now that are unemployed because of layoffs, because of the economy. We have folks on disability. We have folks on retirement. Hear the heart of this. You know, a lot of this is written specifically for that lazy person who's more than able to work but refuses to. We're not talking about if you have a, a justifiable excuse and you're trying to get a job or you're doing your best. Well, this, is, this scripture is really dealing with somebody who we, ha- we see him come through here all the time. Uh, I need help paying my electric bill. Well, who's your pastor? I don't have one. There's your problem. I don't have enough money to give to you. Go, go away. We do that all the time. Because what they do is they, they look at the church as welfare. And there's folks in this community that will not get a job, yet they come to my church smoking cigarettes, smelling of alcohol. They've got the money for cigarettes and alcohol. They don't have the money for their cable bill. Like, I'm going to pay your cable bill. Or they, one of the other scams they pull on us, and I think word has gotten out because we don't see as many folks anymore. They come the day before it's due. If I don't get it, they're going to shut it off. Well, man, I guess you're going to sweat or I guess you're going to freeze. You didn't think about this 15 days ago and yet you reek of an ashtray. So you've been able to feed your nicotine addiction at $5 a day times 30 days. That's $150. Your, your electrical bill is 85. Your lungs have not been neglected, but now your electricity will be. This is what this kind of scriptures are written for. Get a job. 
Lots of folks are hiring. Even Mr. Marlon was telling me, talking about a businessman in town, and Marlon said, you know, I, I'm glad to see you've gotten a better caliber of worker on your job. And the man said, it's honestly hard to find people who want to work. Even in this economy, that was recent, wasn't it? Even in this economy, he's saying, it's hard to find people who want to work. Fine, go hungry. <laughs> when you get hungry enough, you'll get a job. And I don't feel, this may sound cold and callous, but we honestly don't have the finances to supply every electric and cable bill for every lazy person in Cookville. So I, it doesn't hurt my heart at all to turn them away. I even did it on Christmas Eve this year. Now the question is, what was I doing working on Christmas Eve here at the church this year? But this guy came to the door and said, I, I, I said, what, what do you want? It was blowing snow. It's very cold. I blocked my foot at the door. And I said, can I help you? He only stopped by because he knew it was Christmas Eve and he saw a truck and a light on. It's a scam. He said, I, I, I'm trying to get to Texas for Christmas. And I said, you won't make it. <laughs> it's, it's 8 o'clock or it's like 5 or 6 o'clock Christmas Eve. You're not making it to Texas. Greyhound ain't running. And I said, why didn't you think about this a month ago? What did you do for work last week? Well, over here, and you didn't think about this? I can't help you, man. I should even be here right now. I hope you got a place to go because it's cold out there. Where have you been staying? He's just working a scam. I don't feel bad about it. Not at all. Christmas takes nobody's by surprise every year. They just want to pull on our emotions because Southern tradition has taught us how we are supposed to be according to Southern tradition, not according to the Bible. And I will be judged before by what I do with God's money out of this ministry. And I'm not going to give it to a heretic, a derelict, a wino, a smoker. Uh, they want help. They can get help. Amen. They just know how to work the system. And we are dumb enough to fall for it. Lots of times folks will come to me even when we're in cities or whatnot. And I'll have not a wad of cash because I'm a, more of a plastic guy. But I'll have money on me. Sir, do you have any money? I said, sir, I've got no cash for you. And I might have 300 bucks in my pocket. Or, or 75 bucks. I, and I, I tell them the truth. I have no cash for you. I'm sorry, sir. I have no cash for you. So I'm not lying. Telling the truth. I have a lot of cash. Not for you, though. This is for me and my wife. Because I work. And I supply for my family. And when you hit bottom hard enough, then you'll want Jesus. Amen. All right. Get a job. At some point, you must transition from taking and receiving to giving and supplying. This is one sign of Christian maturity and growth. The folks that are unemployed and they're looking for employment, we encourage them, keep your faith out there. Transition, transition. Come up to the church and do work. You know, see what you can do something on eBay. See if you can do some kind of internet business. There's something you can do, even if you're retired, to help the kingdom. Look at our next verse. And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we strongly suggested and kind of had a suggestion box at your church and said, this would be nice if you did this. <laughs> Paul said, we commanded this. This is a New Testament commandment. That you may walk honestly towards them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Notice it doesn't say a one-time offering will cause you to lack nothing. It says work will cause you to lack nothing. How come the word of fake prosperity gurus aren't teaching that? That they're teaching if you give in this offering, you'll lack nothing. But Paul taught if you work with your own hands and do your own business, you'll lack nothing. <laughs> they just kind of leave out the scriptures that give the balance to prosperity. And because those scriptures won't make them able to afford their Rolls Royce payments or their twin jet payments or their mansion payments with the marble swimming pool payments. So they don't give you the balance because I would almost say they're more interested in your money than you. 
And I would rather you work and fulfill the scriptures and have an offering to give than I get rich and milk you dry and toss you to the wayside and look for more people I can leech off of. This kind of, this kind of entitlement thing, we know it's in the church because it's in the pulpits. Because unfortunately, a lot of preachers see you as cash cows, which is a golden calf. And they only want to suck out of you and don't want to put anything into you. That's another sermon altogether. There were some things Paul taught, and then there were some things Paul commanded. He commanded that the believers at Thessalonica are to get a job. Why? So that the believers could have a good Christian testimony so that they wouldn't lack substance. Once again, let me give you the balance. I'm not talking about you're, you're disabled. I'm not talking about you're on medical leave. I'm not talking about you've been laid off. This is talking about Christians who refuse to contribute, who refuse to work. They won't even work in the local church. They want everything done for them. That's what Paul's addressing here. So don't feel bad if you're retired. We, we believe in retirement. You know, you, you shouldn't have to be working manual labor when you're in your 70s and 80s. Hopefully you plan for it. But you should still be working for the kingdom in your 70s and 80s. There's no scripture that allows you as a Christian to retire from the gospel just because you got snowheaded. In fact, the Bible says the glory of old men is their hoary head, their snowhead, their white hair. It means you should have more wisdom. You ought to be helping us more than ever. And the good thing around here is we don't pile drive and we don't, you know, you know, blow up stuff or cut stuff. I guess we blow up stuff from time to time. But, you know, we're not doing manual labor around here. We're doing the kingdom work. That's why I love Ma Creeble. She's 82, 83 this year, and she works 8, 10 hours a week up here. Her and Miss Nan. And Miss Nan's on disability, but she comes up here and works and helps us. Thank God for it. They're doing the gospel work. Those people, people like that, I'll go so far out of my way to help them. They could, they could say, Pastor, we need help saving the farm. I'd find a way to save the farm. Somebody else could come along wanting 50 bucks to pay off their electric. I'd say, go without. I owe you nothing. It's just the truth. It's what's fair. You want fair? I'll give you fair. <laughs> Amen. Uh, let's see. Unemployed people lack substance and often want everyone else to give them theirs. This is welfare. <laughs> There's a time for assistance, and we're not against it, and then there's a time to advance. And we've got to ask folks who refuse to work, who are able to work, why don't you want to work? Laziness. It's an abomination. Why don't you want to advance in Christ? Really, your heart of faith has got to be, I'm going to own this business. I'm going to get a job, and in three years, I'm going to own it. I'm going to be so high up, the only thing left for me to do is to take over for the old man who's going to retire. I'm going to do so much. I want to give more to the kingdom. I want to work more for the kingdom. The only reason this is not in us is because we have this thing called laziness that's always trying to argue or negotiate. Can we just slow down? Can we take a break? No, because your breaks last way longer than they should. Even the boss has to say, all right, you get 15 minutes. Because he knows if he gives you 30, you'll take an hour. Now, now this is my kind of gripe. How come smokers get an extra 30-minute break a day and I don't? How come they're addicted to a carcinogen and they've earned the right to work 30 minutes less a day than I have to or get to? Why why does their stupidity entitle them to a higher wage? Because they're getting paid for 30 minutes they don't work. Just a thought. I've got a spitting addiction. I need to go outside and spit for 15 minutes. I've got a fresh air addiction, boss. I need to go outside and breathe fresh air for 15 minutes. I, I like to do this. I, I do it a lot. I walk into a restaurant. If it's pouring down rain and they're out there smoking or it's freezing cold, I say, it's a good day not to be a smoker. And I just walk in right past them. 
<laughs> I did it just the other day. We went to Old Charlie's, and there's two college kids out there smoking. It's blowing rain, and they're huddling right there by the door. So when the door opens, it gets sucked in like a bunch of selfish people. I said, hey, man, it's a good day for me not to be a smoker. Have a good day and just walk in. Because and... <laughs> I'm free. Amen. <laughs> Freedom has its benefits. There's a time for assistance, and then there's a time to advance. So, men, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, idle. I know show at work is what the Greek word means. Warn them. So we have a right, Paul commanding the leaders at Thessalonica, warn them in your church that are idle. Lazy, you know, like a car in idle. Just wasting resources, doing nothing. And that are a no-show to work. You know, we could talk about retirement or currently unemployed. There's always a lot of work up here to do. Come do something. You know, we're not against people not working if they have a legitimate reason, but there's always kingdom work that can be done. And we would ask, why doesn't your heart want to do the kingdom work? If that maybe uh, you just, uh, what's one thing Dr. Barclay said, maybe you're not really in love with Jesus, you just don't want to go to hell. Maybe that's why you come to service once a week. The other thing Dr. Barclay, actually they said this week that I really liked, is that, some Christians think they're doing the pastor a favor because they show up three out of 12 services. And they call three out of 12 faithful. And they had some examples, but the one I was thinking of, since maybe you're older on medication, what if only three out of your 12 pills worked? Would you be happy with that? Only three out of your 12 heart pills helped you. Is that dependable? How about if only three out of 12 of your paychecks actually went through? <laughs> Or what if your wife was only came home three out of 12 nights in a row? Or she only had marriage intimacy with you three out of 12 men? And yet you think you're doing the local church a favor because you throw up, you show up three out of 12 services a month? We have an right to warn you for being unruly and a no-show at work. This is not a spectator sport. We're talking about being men of labor. Men of labor. Some folks only come to church because their spouse does. That's pretty shiftless too. That means you come to church for a person and not for Jesus Christ, the person. So you're, you're not a man of labor either. This kingdom is work and we're called to advance it through labor. And if you're born again and you're convinced that you are, then you owe it to the kingdom to help us advance the kingdom. That's how this thing works. Amen. In Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, he warns the lazy saints. These idle and unruly believers were hurting the body. They were unruly in that they wouldn't follow God's rules by getting a job. This also caused problems in the local church. Paul sent a warning, get a job. <laughs> I wish we had some lazy Christians in here that wouldn't get a job in the natural because I could preach this a lot harder. As it is, I'm having to find other avenues of things to deal with. <laughs> 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, 11, and 12. Now we command you, brethren. Here's, here's that word command again. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a strong command here. This, this isn't, hey, we teach, we suggest, hey, it ought to be this way. But if, if any man be contentious, we have no such custom, neither do the churches of God. Like he said one place in Corinthians. He says, we command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very strong here. There, there's no greater command ever came from Paul than when he put these two kind of things together. We command you, not by our doctrine, not by our recommendation, but by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Strong command coming. Let's see what it is. That you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. Same word, idle, no show. 
and not after the tradition which he received of us. So you mean the church has a tradition of being a worker. The apostles had a tradition of working in the local church. The tradition of the church of Jesus Christ is to work, not be a welfare state. That's communism. That's welfare. That's living in the hood. This is not the hood. This is the kingdom. This is not lining up to get your government check. Because you, you have 35 babies and 45 men and you refuse to be a contributing attribute to America. This is the kingdom. And the Bible is commanded through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, withdraw from those believers. Well, that would only make sense if you helped us, if you came to services, if you were in the helps ministry. We want a fellowship with you. But if you don't, we're commanded to withdraw from you. Well, nobody likes me. We like you. We just wish we could love you a lot more. We're just having to obey the Bible because you don't. Hey, you're disobeying the word enough for us to not be in your boat with you. You're disobeying the word enough for the both of us. That walketh after disorderly and not after the tradition which he received us. For we hear, notice he's just going by hearsay, but he judged it by the Spirit. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, idle, no short work, working not at all, but are busybodies. That means they're just, what's, did you hear so-and-so? Nowadays we have Facebook, so it, it really promotes it. So-and-so, and I'm not against Facebook, but with anything else you can sin pretty bad. If you're a busybody, Facebook will make you worse. If you're a pornographer, Facebook will make you worse. If you're a gossip, Facebook will make you worse. If you flirt with young girls, Facebook will make you worse. So it really it multiplies whatever's already in you. But see, some folks, they don't want to work for God, so they're busy critiquing everybody else's business. That, that's what it just cracks me up. Christians who don't show up, who aren't faithful to church, they're my biggest critics. They're the ones that want to come give me their opinion in my ear when I'm not even allowed to instruct them as a pastor 12 services out of a month. If I can help you, you don't qualify to talk to me in that giving me suggestions and directions. You don't even know what we're doing nine of the other 12 services because you don't show. You're a no-show. What makes you think you've got anything to contribute here when you won't even contribute here in your body? We're talking about being a man of labor. For some of you, it's a labor just to show up on time. For some of you, it's a labor just to get here three services a week. For some of you, you wouldn't know what you did you, if you came out for a Friday night corporate prayer. You would not, I've, I've deserve, I deserve a crown in heaven for this. <laughs> no, no, you're not doing anybody any favors. Like Jesus Christ taught in the parables, you'll have to say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I have done that which was expected of me. So it just always marvels me. Folks who come three or four services, they want to call me up and critique me and tell me how I preached a bad service or they don't agree with what I'm doing. I thought, wait a minute. I've been pastoring this church for four years. It's cost me everything. You show up four times and you think you know what I'm doing wrong? (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm here every service and then every service in between the services. You come once a week at best and you think you know what I'm doing wrong? The audacity, the arrogance. Busybodies. It's exactly what it is. Busybodies. How about you take all that wisdom and logic you think you have for me and apply it to yourself, O physician? <laughs> yeah. Bless, bless the body of Christ's heart. It's like Dr. Barclay says, Jesus, I feel sorry for you. You got a messed up body. <laughs> it's the truth. I mean, when you really think he has us to work with and we're the ones who are supposed to reach the world, I don't know how he does it. 
but he's God. And we just say, yes, sir. Working not at all, but our busy bodies. Now them that are such, we command. There's that word command. I love it how the old, uh, some religious folks say, well, the Old Testament, that's just full of commandments. We're not under that. And yet we've got two commands in this passage here. So we're still under law. This law just doesn't make us righteous. This law makes us holy. If he says command, then it is a commandment. Should we keep the commandments? Then are we entitled to obey the commandments? Is it legalism? It's obedience. It keeps us safe. It keeps the church clean. So twice we've got two commands here. We command you and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a double, it's like triple dog dare you there. Not just a dare you, I double dog and triple dog. We don't just suggest, we don't just recommend. If you feel like it, instruct. We command and exhort. The word exhort means there's a flavor of warning by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Oh, you mean so you're not supposed to eat my bread? You're not supposed to need a handout from me. You eat your own bread. You work, and if you work, then you'll have your own bread. One year later, 2 Thessalonians was written a year after the 1 Thessalonians, and that was the previous verse we looked at. Paul writes a second epistle to the Thessalonians. Several things were addressed, addressed, including the unemployed. This time, the warning, which was in 1 Thessalonians 5, has turned to discipline. Now, this is what I saw, and I like this. Apparently, one year is long enough to find employment. Apparently. Because Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, warn them that don't have a job to get one. A year later, he says, get rid of them. Withdraw yourself from them. They don't want to get a job after a year. There's plenty of jobs to be had. They could start a bit. They could start shoe cobbling. They could start leather tanning. I mean, it's probably a little bit easier back then than maybe now. But I would honestly say probably not. But we can drive. They had to ride camels. We have internet. They had word of mouth. We had phones. They might maybe had smoke signals. Or carrier pigeons. Apparently one year is long enough to find employment. The faithful saints are commanded to stop fellowshipping with the idle saints. This is a public censure. That's pretty serious business. The unemployed are commanded to get a job. Having a job was part of the tradition which Paul demonstrated to the Thessalonians. We know Paul, when, he, when the churches wouldn't support him, he made tents. He was a tent maker by trade. He supported himself when nobody else would. To their shame, unfortunately. So there's just some, some New Testament precedent for getting a job. There's some good scriptures there. Uh, in our church, there, every once in a while there are people that will come and won't get a job. As I've told you, uh, we had some lesbians that attended about a year or two ago. And I would preach on lesbianism or against it just to push them around in the spirit and see what they would do. They, did, they were not offended about me preaching against lesbianism. You know, they were tattooed up and, you know, they were sweet. You could tell that they weren't really lesbians. They just believed they were. That me preaching against their lesbianism did not offend them. But when I said, you need to get a job, that's when they got upset and left the church. That doesn't make any sense to my little pastoral head that I can stomp on something like lesbianism, that it's an abomination and it's weird and messed up, and even use my famous story about the homopotamus. <laughs> you know my story of the homopotamus, that homosexuality is not a genetic thing. Because if it were, if there were two gay hippos a million years ago and they met each other, let's go start a family. The end. No more homopotamuses. That didn't offend them. But I said, get a job. You need to work. You shouldn't be on welfare. You should work with your hand if you're able to. And they were able to. They were in their 20s. 
That's what made them leave. And the, and the guy of the girl relationship, she left and took the girl with her. And all the kids, because they both had kids, but now they're lesbians. Oh, Calgon, take me away. This is confusing. <laughs> New Testament consequences for not laboring. And everybody here has got a job or you're doing what you know to do or the best you can do. So this is not going to apply to you. But think of it in terms of helps ministry. Think of it in terms of laboring and prayer. Think of it in terms of taking care of your home or your children or your marriage. Think of all this in that regard because really we don't have any kind of lazy folks who refuse to work. Now we've had them in times past. They either got a job or they left. Let's look at these verses. Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. The church is commanded to not fellowship with you. Looking at consequences. Rather, we are to withdraw from you. This is a commandment. You refuse to get a job and you're able to. We're, we're commanded to withdraw from you. That's how serious God is about this. You don't want to get a job. You need a job. You're mooching off everybody. We command you to get a job you don't want to. We're supposed to withdraw from you. In fact, we, we lost uh, some odd folks about three years ago because we kept telling them, get a job, get a job, get a job. We'd take them back and forth on the bus. They'd use our bus people to stop off and do grocery shopping. I got onto our van people and said, listen, your job is not to stop off and buy them cigarettes. Your job is not to give them a bite to eat on the way home. Your job is not to stop off and let them get a grocery, go grocery shopping. Your job is to pick them up for church, bring them to church, take them home from church and come back. They didn't like that. Of course, they wouldn't get a job. And they eventually left. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. The church is not obligated to pay your bills or feed you if you refuse to get a job. This is also a commandment. Notice, this we commanded you. I like to add this. We'll throw this in there from the spiritual standpoint. Uh, I, I, I teach this from time to time. I've thought about it. I like it. That really, if you're not working in the local church, why should I feed you the word? Or we could say, because some folks are coming and they're getting their new and they're getting acclimated. We could say you'll get more out of the feeding of the word if you are working in the local church. Because your heart's more connected. You, you, you're committed. You're invested. Uh, you, you know that you've taken ownership of the ministry. That's my church. Not that's the church I go to. That's Pastor Chris's church or that's an EWC. That's my church. Oh, I don't have to work this service. Praise God. I'm going to get something out of it. You notice when you work hard, food tastes better. You know, as you do yard work all day long, sweet tea tastes so much better. But if all you do is drink sweet tea all day long, you're like, ugh, just give me water. Man, my pancreas can't handle it. I'm going in diabetic shock here. My eyes are glossy. But if you've worked outside for 15 hours and you're sweating, cutting down trees or cutting the grass or whatever, digging a ditch, anything you eat will be savory. It could be a rice cake and you're thankful. If you work in the local church, you'll get a lot more out of what we feed you. But I also I kind of think if you refuse to work, why should I keep feeding you? Well, we will. So maybe you'll get some baby faith and actually do something for the kingdom. Like come to more than just one service a week. <laughs> because you're not doing me any favors. And when's the last time you thank me for doing you favors? Second Thessalonians 3.14. I'm helping myself this morning. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. Well, I feel like I've been marked. You have been. It's biblical. Note that man. Did you know this? In the early church, they were under the tradition of writing letters, commending and even decommissioning people. And what, how it would work is say Paul or the local pastor, like he did this with Phoebe. In fact, did you know the whole book of Romans is Phoebe's letter of commendation? She's mentioned in the end of Romans. He sent it by her hand. She, she's carrying the epistle. She says, here you go. I've just come from Paul. 
Romans, Pastor, I'm supposed to deliver this epistle to you. So he, the pastor stands up, reads the epistle of Romans that we now study to the church. In the end, it says, and receive now Phoebe, who is a great deaconess, and give her anything she needs and help her on her journey. She just, I mean, she's part of the word of God because she was so faithful to work. And the Roman epistle, in the end, one of the final things he says is, give her anything she needs on her mission trip. That's quite a letter of commendation. Or you didn't know it, you could be delivering something and it would say, mark this man who delivered this epistle on you because he's a weasel and he's a rat and don't let him do anything among you. That's what even Paul said. He, he asked the Corinthians, do we need letters of commendation for you seeing as how you're our epistle? It is very biblical to mark Christians. Now, I know America and the Oprah church doesn't like it because we're so afraid we're going to hurt each other's psyche. You don't realize that you're already destroying your own psyche. But the Bible says, note that person. Mark them. And do what? Have him over for dinner? Have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. If you don't start marking folks as being troublemakers, they won't know they're doing anything wrong. Worse yet, you don't mark them, they think they're doing everything right. See, this is biblical stuff. We can note you. Cain was marked. Romans says mark them and have no fellowship with them. The church is to mark the lazy brother and have no company with him. This is also called excommunication. The non-working Christian brother is to be ashamed of his laziness. So let me go through this last section. We've got a few minutes. God does not promote lazy people. I love running through the Old Testament. You guys know I'm an Old Testament kind of guy. Throughout the Bible, the Lord only spoke to and used hard-working people. Point one, God spoke to Moses in a burning bush while Moses was working his day job as a shepherd. He wasn't at home watching television for the 40th hour this week. He was doing something for God. He was working. God appeared to Gideon while Gideon was working his day job as a farmer threshing wheat. God promoted David from out of the sheepfolds, his day job, to be king over Israel. You don't see anybody on welfare being used of God because promotion takes work and promotion comes to give you more work. Everybody wants to be promoted. Nobody wants to do the work. In our church, we're a hardworking church. I guarantee you we outwork any church in this region, bar none. If not just statistically, I think even just carte blanche. We do more evangelism than any church in the region. We're preaching more sermons throughout the community than any other church in the region. And I will brag on it. That's what Paul said. This is, my, this is my pedigree. This is what I have to brag on. The cross of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're looking for is hardworking Christians that will help promote the gospel. And just like in the military, you have supportive ministries and you have upfront ministries. Not everybody in the military shoots a gun or digs a trench. You got some folks doing paperwork. That's just as important. We got Maul Creeble, 83. She just makes tapes and see. Just makes tapes. Just she sends me further than I get to go. And she's faithful to do it with excellence. That's important. That's work. And God will promote her. God put a vision in Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, his day job, to go and build a wall. His hard work on the job gave him favor with his boss. Now there's something worth noting there. He's working for this wicked king. He's a Babylonian king. But he's so faithful to this king... All of a sudden, he hears, he gets word, Nehemiah gets word that the city has been destroyed, the wall's broken down, and his heart begins to yearn, and he believes it's God telling him to go build this wall. So he goes to his wicked Babylonian boss and said, and his boss says, your, your countenance has dropped. I know you're always full of joy, and today something's wrong. What's wrong? He said, oh, king, live forever. But how can I be happy when the city of my people has no protection? 
And the king says, what do you want to do? He says, can I have a leave of absence to go build the wall? How long will it take? I don't know. He said, what do you need? And the king gives him time off and gives him of the king's supply to go do the work of God. Don't expect your carnal boss to understand the kingdom if you're not a hard worker. Because even if he's a heathen, you're a hard worker, he'll give you any time off you want just to please you. Amen. When Elijah selected Elisha as his future replacement, Elisha was plowing his day job and he had to quit it to go work for Elijah. Another day job. (laughs) So he trades one day job for another day job for many years before he ever gets to become full-time ministry. Takes work. Work, 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 work. I work more now as a pastor than I ever did as a geologist. Because now my job is 24-7, literally. At least as a geologist, I could work 50 hours a week and be done, even if it was out of town drilling or overseeing drill rigs or blowing something up or mapping or computer work. I do more physical labor now, more manual labor, more travel now than I've ever done, and I'm supposed to be the guy behind the desk. This is how this thing works. Jesus called the 12 disciples while they were working their day jobs. Jesus did not select anyone from the lazy line. You go through the scriptures. You tell me one person who was unemployed that Jesus called to make a disciple out of. They were fishermen and they were tax collectors. They were working. And that's who Jesus called to make a disciple. This thing called labor and work, you got to have it in you, man. Not just as far as a job, but you got to work for your family, work for the yard, work to provide meals, work to take care of the vehicles, work in prayer to protect your families. Work, 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 work. Sure beats the American mantra, which is dream a little dream of dream. (laughs) I got a quote I want to read you sometime uh, from a great man of God who said, It seems that the American church has bought into Disney's dream. When you wish upon a star. And, And he goes on to say, And we've mixed that with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have said, I'll dream a dream. God will bless it. God will bring it to pass. And I will be good. And he said, and this is so wrong. I'll read you that quote. Maybe ministers meeting because it's a powerful quote from a guy who I tell you who it is. You'll say, oh, my gosh, because he knows something about it. Godly men work, so get to work. It will allow God to promote you. Appreciate you men and women coming out and listening and doing. We'll be ready for next service in about 13 minutes.